0: It's good to be here. Um, You know, Tori and I are here pretty much every week, but usually I'm out there. And every now and then, um, Gare wants me to share a few things from kind of my corner of the world, which is I'm a psychologist. um, And so I live in the world of dysfunction. I'm well-equipped to do that. How many of you are? We got any dysfunctional people? Let me see your hands. You got any issues? All right, this is so... You guys are the honest group, had the service before, they're just in denial, you know, one little hand goes up here and there. You know, it's interesting, Um, we all have issues, we talk about this mental health crisis. Um, You know, there is, uh, the numbers are... Do you know after COVID, um, normally in America, we have in the high teens, 18, 16, 17% of people... Um, are kind of diagnosable, you know, depression, anxiety, addictions, all that stuff. Do you know after COVID, over 40% of America right now can meet the criteria at some moment for depression, anxiety, or addiction? It's a big deal. So we're not talking about mental health crisis. We're not talking about people in rubber rooms out there. We're talking about us. How many of you, like if you think, think of the major categories, you know, Even depression's a mood disorder. Anybody in here ever struggle with your mood? Okay. How many of you brought that mood with you? They're sitting next to you. (laughs) And you struggle with that mood. (laughs) Turn to them and say, you're my mood disorder. How about stress disorders, anxiety disorders? You know, habit patterns, addictions, you can't stuff. So let's just kind of get rid of all the labels. And this morning... Let's talk about faith and what our faith has to do with helping us with all of this stuff. And I speak to you not just as a psychologist, but as a fellow journeyer, and I know what depression and all that stuff, anxiety, um, I hit the pavement years ago, um, deep, dark depression, and that's how I learned about it. Um, and also, that's how I learned about God and his healing. And so I'm going to just share um, a few things about you know a lot of times we come into this this faith thing, and you know we have our real life. You know I think of life as in a pie with three big slices of the pie. A lot of people divide up the pie of life in a lot of ways, but I I do it in three. The first big piece of the pie is our how we're doing. You know our wellness like. Um, the clinical piece, like depression and anxiety and stress and all that, or the opposite. Are we thriving and feeling good? So, you know, the clinical, your well-being, that's a big part of life. If you're hurting, it's hard to make the other two pieces of the pie work. Second big piece is relationships. You know, marriage and dating and family and friends and community and work relationships, all that stuff. How many of you have ever noticed that relationships can be a problem? All right, we're still with the right group. I won't ask you if you brought that problem with you. uh, But relationships hurt. They can be the greatest source of life and the greatest source of pain. And so that's a big deal. And then the third piece of the pie is our performance in life, or how we use our gifts and talents to bring about some sort of fruit. Now, a lot of people ask me, what about the fourth piece? What about the spiritual piece? You're leaving out the spiritual. No, I'm not. There is no spiritual part of the piece of the pie. It's not a part of life in a piece. It's the pie pan that it all sits in. It's all of the pie. Because our spiritual life, as we're going to talk about today, affects not only our clinical life, our relational life, but our performance life as well. And I learned this early in my journey that God has so many ways of healing us. When I hit bottom and reached out and he showed up and he began to heal me. And then I became a psychologist because he told me to do that. I was an accounting and finance major. And halfway through college, he told me to going to this field and I didn't know anything about it but through that all of that and I'm studying all this and it, it and sometimes when I'm learning everything and I see what heals people I didn't quite understand how those two went together because a bunch of stuff I'd heard in church And do you know you hear stuff in the Christian community that's just crazy have you ever noticed that you know, somebody's depressed or whatever, and they give them these spiritual platitudes, and you go to the Bible, and it's kind of not in there. Um, in fact, John Townsend and I wrote a book called 12 Christian Beliefs, in quotation mark, 12 Christian Beliefs that can drive you crazy. And they're commonly held things that Christians think that are nowhere in the Bible. But here's what I found. Um, I'd been a, in a psychologist for, at this point, you know, long enough, a few years to really kind of understand what helps and I, it just made no sense to me how it fit in some ways with the faith. It wasn't what I was, had learned in church and, but I knew what was real. I knew what God had done in my life and so I took a couple of years and kind of dropped out of life. I mean, I was working but dropped out of the rest of life and I just read my Bible and that's when I got born again again. Because what I found was, God knows what he's talking about. Clinically, he knows what he's talking about. And we look at all these disorders we call mental health and all these categories and the pieces of the pie. What I began to see was, was the stuff that we know that's evidence-based is the term you hear, or science-based, or research that really works is exactly what God has told us. And so I'm going to share with you uh, this morning, I'm going to share um, four areas of faith development that are the same four areas that research shows heals and cures these disorders. Okay, now I don't mean kind of, uh, there's a lot of complicated aspects to this, um, You know, there's biological components sometimes have to be addressed with medicine. There's genetic components. There's a lot of complexity. But I'm talking about the psychological dynamics. If you're going to go into good therapy, which I believe in, okay, what you're going to find is an expert that knows how to go more deeply into these areas. But I guarantee you these areas are going to be there. But what do they have to do with faith? Well, we'll see. That's what God's told us. All right. So we're going to get into your issues. You ready? How many of you, how many of you come from a dysfunctional family? Can I see your hands? Don't worry, we're not, well, we kind of are broadcasting this. (laughs) Mom may be watching. Hey, mom, now you know why they moved to California. (laughs) How many of you don't come from a dysfunctional family? Really? Really? Do you have a belly button? Because if you don't, your name's Adam. Now think about this. We all come from a dysfunctional family. It's called the family of the human race. I mean, Adam didn't have a belly button. He came from God, poof. And they've, she had a rib button, I guess. But they, they didn't inherit all these dynamics down through generations. And we do, and we pass them on. But here's the reality when we enter into and we're born again, which is the term the Bible uses, we're born anew without a belly button. We're born into a spiritual family with God as a father, and he wants to grow us up. And when we start to grow up in some new dynamics, maybe the Adams family, I don't mean just your biological Adams family, this is the human race. As we're going to see, many of you have been injured in these dynamics by the human race. But God wants us to start over in a new family and grow us up and heal us. And I'm going to share some of how that works. Okay, what's issue number one? We'll tell you four issues and four quick stories. Issue number one. We checked a guy into so I started a company that did treatment centers and psychiatric hospitals. And Hospital units, and, and we checked a guy into the hospital one time. I hadn't, hadn't met him. He had come through the admissions. He was a, a pastor and a great guy. Everybody loved him. Had a growing, you know, big church and had been doing this for a lot of years. Great guy. Everybody loved him. He just had one little weird habit, I guess. He slept with a loaded gun next to his bedside table. And every day, as he told us, it was a decision, commitment. Could he go on one more day? His presenting diagnostic category would be a mood disorder. He had some significant depression that he was willing himself through. And he just heard about this faith-based psychiatric unit, and we checked him in, and he came. Well, it comes the first morning, and I, I I was doing a teaching group, and I said, okay, guys, today, I'm. this is the group of patients, I said, today, we're going to talk about this word, and I wrote it on the board, and I wrote up sin, and he said, at that moment, all hope just drained out of him. He told me this later. He said, are you kidding me? I've been preaching about sin for 30 years and I fly, you're my last hope and that's what I'm gonna come here. He said, but he sat there thinking this. He said, I'm checking out today. I'm leaving, set through the group. But then what I did was I divided the the board into two columns and first thing I said, sin, there's two columns of sin, sin done by me because our, you know, when we do destructive stuff, we, it can hurt us clinically, relationally, and in performance. You know, if we're addicted to heroin or something, that's not going to help out your marriage or your career, or we do other stuff. I mean, we can damage ourselves, right? So there's this whole column, sin done by me, we need to clean up our act. But then I wrote the second column title up there, and that's the sin done to me. And he said, I kind of looked up and what do you mean to me? He said, I'd never thought about that. So then I went into the first issue of the four we're gonna talk about today. And that is the issue of connectedness. Now we're gonna talk more about this in a moment. But what I said was, I said, you know, connection, our heart has four pipes in it, right? Two that flow out, but two that flow in. And if we're not connected in a way where we're in a constant flow of blood into our hearts through relationships, our relationship with God, but relationships with people, that's how he made us, we're gonna have a heart attack. You're not gonna have a pulse if there's not two pipes coming in. I said, and some of you have been sinned against in ways that your valves to that heart, we know the heart is a muscle, your trust muscle, which is the valve, has been broken. If that valve doesn't open... And love and sustenance and connectedness and energy through relationship, if it doesn't come in, that heart's going to dry up and we're going to get symptomatic depression, anxiety, fear, panic, rage, trying to fill it with, fill that hole up somewhere with one more sexual experience or one more achievement or, because we're empty. I said, so some of you have had your trust muscle broken and we're going to talk about that today. Because it's hard for you to open up and need and take in life. You're always giving. Or you have friends, he had a, several, I think he had about a thousand people in his church. He was around people all the time. But one thing we know is one of the loneliest places to be is in a relationship when you don't feel connected. It's like the old George Thorogood song, when I drink alone, I prefer to be by myself. And you all know that feeling either in a family or a work team or where it's, it's, you have people around you, but you feel unknown. You feel unseen. And it's hard to be vulnerable and open up and say, I need you. I don't feel good tonight. Can you come over? Or can we meet? I'm hurting. So I opened up the group, and he raised his hands, and he said, I remember the day. I remember the day that happened. I mean, I can still feel it as I listen to him in my head right now. He said, I remember the day that happened. He told this awful story about how his parents, he was a young kid, and his parents were killed in a plane crash. And he got shipped off to live with some uncles and it didn't go well. And he said one day he just realized when he was with them, as soon as he got there and was mistreated, and he just remembers saying, I'll never trust anybody again. I'll never need anybody again. And he remembers making that conscious vow. Now, a lot of us, might not do that consciously, but your heart does it. If you grow up with an, you know, abuse or abandonment or sometimes just detachment, lack of attachment, or then maybe you don't. Maybe it happens a little later and it gets injured in a relationship. But here's what happens: if we can't, if we don't feel connected, and that comes from two places. It comes from being in an environment and places around us with people that really want to go deep. And they want to be there for your pain, not just, oh, I'll pray for your brother, sister. But here's what we know about the thriving people. There's people in their lives that know when they're needy. I work with CEOs mainly and high performers. And when it all crashes, this is the big area. <laughs> because they've been on output mode It's hard for them to need. So what's the science in this? When you take a baby, how many of you ladies have had babies? Okay, a handful of you. How many of your babies popped out there in the delivery room and turned to you and said, hey mom, oh sorry, was that tough on you? Here, let me help. No, they didn't do that. Because they need connection to do that. That's got to be downloaded to them. Maybe by the time they're, you know, Eight or ten, they might volunteer to help something. Then they hit thirteen and flip you off. Said, "No way, I'm not doing that." But that doesn't come. See, a baby comes into the world. How not saying, "Hi, mom, can I help?" No, wee wee wee. They are hungry for connection. Now, some of you dated that guy in a thirty-year-old body, <laughs> or her. But they're not honest about that, are they? No, they wanna connect in ways to try to fill that emptiness or narcissistic pursuits to fill it. But what that baby does, you feed them and water them and they're gonna grow on the outside but we take close closer look at the ones that are fed and watered but they're not connected with, their brain sizes are smaller, their immune system doesn't function, their body weights are lower you adopt them out of an institution at age 10. They have acting out behavior from an attachment disorder. And then we take pictures of their brain and stuff didn't grow in there because of the absence of love. Let's look at this verse. See, this is part of our spiritual life. Paul says he wants you to be encouraged. And look at this word, knitted together by strong ties of love. In another place, it's rendered our hearts knitted together in love. See, that's what we need. You need a fabric of connectedness in your life. And what we have now is we have a lot of people in our lives, which is great, but some of them aren't that great at transformational moments when you're in pain. Jesus had his small group of 12. Then he had a smaller group of three that he was closer to, Peter, James, and John. And then he had John and it looks like he was the closest to. It's no accident that John wrote the books of the New Testament having to do with deep connectedness. Why would Jesus pick John to be the closest to? Because well, John had the capacity. I want you to find some people with that capacity. Now don't get rid of all your dysfunctional friends. It won't be any fun if you do that. <laughs> I love my crazy friends. Just they're not the ones I call the dark night of the soul. Issue number one, connection. You need it. You can't be on output all the time. Issue number two, after we're connected, what do we do? Remember the old country and western song? How can I miss you if you never go away? You know, some connections, we lose our separateness, right? We lose our boundaries. And God designed connection to be where we're, we're close and our hearts knitted together, but we're still able to be separate. And the big word here, the first one was knitted together. Look at this verse, Galatians 5.1. I love this verse. Why did Christ die for us? Look at what it says. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Why? Because freedom is the only sphere in which love can exist. If you want to know you have a good relationship, how free are you to say no? See, in a good relationship, two parties, the, the knitted together, doesn't get affected by separateness. But other relationships, as soon as you're knitted together, and some of you've learned in your families or your friends or somebody you dated or that they are not free, they are controlling relationships. Manipulative relationships. Remember a man said he was suffering from agoraphobia. <laughs> no wondering why after I met him. So he said you go back home and he he was thirty years old, he'd go back and visit. His parents and he go to their breakfast table. And he says his mom would come out at breakfast and say, "I I hope my crying at night doesn't keep you awake." Anybody feel a little pressure to come home more often <laughs> when you hear that message, or all sorts of of violations of boundaries, manipulation, guilt manipulation, and not only that, you know, boundaries are a property line. How about? trespassing, as the Bible calls it, abuse, or mental trespassing, gaslighting, and these these mind control and all this stuff that people do where they don't feel free in a relationship. Let me ask you to say a word. You ready? Try this word, no. One, two, three. Okay. Now we'll put a Bible word in there. One, two, three. Hell no. (laughs) <laughs> can, you, can you add a biblical word in there? <laughs> no is a complete sentence, people. You don't have to justify it. It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. But how many times do you not feel free to say no? Maybe to a trespass or some of the way somebody's hurting you, is it's hard to stand and say, don't do that. That hurts me when you do that. Some of you, That's got to be healed and God wants to heal. He wants you to stand up. That's part of, you'll go to a therapist and they'll help you with this. But it comes right out of the Bible. Somebody sins against you, it says go to them and set a limit, that's not okay. And if they don't hear that, go get a friend to go with you. Contain this stuff, don't stand up or don't put up with abuse, but stand up. If you can't stand by yourself, call some others. So it's manipulation and it's violation. No Bible verse, as I said, there's no Bible verse that says, blessed are the doormats for they shall inherit the heels. Not in there. You take a baby the way God wired them, you do something that tickles And they go, ah, yes, yes, more, more, give me more. You do something unpleasant and they'll roll their heads. They know how to say no without even the words. And every two-year-old knows how to say no until it gets beaten out of them or manipulated out of them. I want your no muscle to be thriving. So let's start doing what David did in Psalm 101. He says, hell no, read it. Somewhere in the Hebrew, I'm sure. That's my paraphrase. Here's what he says. He says, there's certain certain kind of people. I'm just not going to have anything to do with them. They do that with me, I'm done. Until they stop. He lists them there. The narcissists, the unfaithful ones, the judgmental ones, the religious idiots. That's in the Hebrew too. Liars. People that pervert, you know, twisted love. He says, no. Don't do that to me. And then he says, I'm going to connect with the ones that are faithful and the good people that do things that God likes, like love and patience and compassion and forgiveness. And see, he makes a choice. Yes to connection, no to abuse and pain. And sometimes we do the opposite. We connect with the abuse and pain and have isolation to the good stuff. Depression, anxiety, addictions, eating disorders. You go into a good treatment center, you're going to work on those two issues, I promise you. But see, it's all in God's word too. He wants to heal you of this. And then the third one, what's the third big area? Well, we live in a fallen world where stuff happens. I was going to use the biblical word, but you can't in church. it happens. Bad stuff. The third area is dealing with the badness. See, the first one is the disconnectedness. That empowers us to deal with the badness. The second one is our boundaries and limits. That enables us to stop the badness from happening. And the third one is healing the badness. And there's two areas of badness. There's the first column and the second column. There's the stuff that that happens to us and we walk around with pain that we don't know we have sometimes. I didn't know I had pain that was why I hit bottom. See, I was was trying to achieve my way running from my pain and then I didn't have the achievement anymore and I fell into it and you know, I've learned something. You can't put a scab on pain and perform your way or medicate your way out of it because there's an old saying, time heals all things. Well, no, it doesn't. Try telling that to an abscessed tooth or an infected finger, and we try to have success and other things that make us not feel our pain. Well, look at Hollywood. You see the infections infecting the success because it always hits, and the crash is much bigger. A lot of times people achieve great things, but then it gets all... Whacked out because they've got stuff that's infecting it. Let's have achievement, but let's get healed of the bad stuff. Third story I was going to tell you is a woman. See, God has provided for the bad stuff. He, you know, it's interesting. I became a psychologist and I read Freud who was so stinking brilliant. I mean, there's some stuff that wasn't exactly right but he came up with some discoveries and one of them was we have pain that gets pushed down and becomes symptomatic and he wrote a book called mourning and melancholia melancholia complicated bereavement where mourning you know people can be depressed if they haven't grieved or processed pain that was a big discovery look what science has done yay yay for science yes I read the research too all the time. Yay for science. But Dr. Freud wasn't the first psychiatrist to discover this. It's only that people read his books that didn't read the book where Dr. Solomon way back in Ecclesiastes, he said incredible stuff about neurobiology. He said it is better to go into the house of grief than the house of pleasure because, get this, a sad face can make a heart happy. In other words, go into your pain and then you'll get happy. Try to avoid your pain and don't go into the house of pain and go into the house of pleasure and try to medicate it with more substances or more sex or more achievement, whatever makes you happy to get away from the pain and your, it, your heart is still infected. So that's why God tells us, I'll give you the next slide. That's why he tells us, accept one another. See, just as God has accepted all of our pain and all of our grief, and he tells us to heal one another, don't deny it. Let's accept it in each other and let's process this pain. But that's one side of the column. If you're walking around and you've been trying to run and you know there's pus in there, that's okay. God says, if you've been abused, come into my small group. We have these at Vintage. We have community here. Find a therapist. Find somebody and let's go into the house of grief and let's get this crap Out of there. The Bible says, heal the brokenhearted. We do this for one another. So, one side of that column is is the pain that you might be carrying around that needs to be healed. And the other side of that column, that picture, is our own sin, our own failures, our own imperfections. That's got to be accepted. And it's got to be confessed. James five sixteen says, "Let's confess this to one another. Let's talk about it." Confession is not legal. Confession in the Greek means to agree with. So I could be sitting with somebody and go, "I really screwed this up," and they go, "Yeah, you did," and they're smiling, like a good recovery group. You know, you go into some churches where you got to be holy to be a member. And if you're hurting, you got to hide it. Well, you go into a good recovery group. If you're holy, you can't be a member there. you got to be screwed up. you got to show up and say, I'm a whateveraholic. And they go, hey, <laughs> welcome. And then you confess, and you agree, and you talk about it. Well, this group over here gets sicker over time, and this group gets well. Imagine that. It's exactly what the Bible says. If we say we're without this stuff, the truth is not in us, but if we confess it, God will heal it. The third story, I was doing a group at the hospital one day and, and there was this woman in there who had bulimia and she would come to group. She was a law student um, and she would come to group. She was, a, you know, four point zillion, every, never high performer. Every, but she would come to group. This isn't a psych unit. She'd come to group like decked out. Her hair all done and makeup And outfits, everything was perfect. Everything, it's just such, all this have to look perfect. And that was driving her eating disorder. It's hard to have a perfect life inside. But we'll find something we can control to go into the house of pleasure. And it had broken down. And her bulimia was, I mean, and she was, had to come, drop out of law school for, a months to come and get treatment so I'm learning about her dynamics and I said what the heck are you what are you dressing for look at these other buffoons in this group how come you don't look like we're in a psych unit and she goes well I always feel you know I, I can't I go you don't have to look perfect all. she says I said what happens when you do and she starts well I get I get so anxious if something's wrong and starts talking about her anxiety attacks right I said you know what I'm gonna give you a present I'm going to give you a gift. Just so happened that day, I was at at, um, at our hospital unit in L.A. And I had to leave right after that group. And I had to go to USC and speak to this big event, major donors, all this. And I had on a starched white shirt and a tie and the jacket. and You can tell this wasn't last week. We don't wear that stuff anymore, but... I mean, I, was, I had to look the part, right? I had to go in to wear everybody dressed like that. And I got to look okay or they're not going to listen to me. That's part of the uniform. And I said, I'm going to give you a present. And I told her where I was headed. And I had to go do this talk. I said, I'm going to give you something I hope you don't forget. And she goes, what? And the group goes, and I had this big jug of coffee. And I took the coffee and I poured it right over my head, down my white shirt, my tie, it was all. I said, how do I look? I said, let me tell you where I'm headed. And I told her, I don't have time to change. And I'm gonna get up on the podium like this. And that's a gift to you because I want you to remember it. Because I'm not gonna worry about that because it's not important. And I'm gonna tell them, oops, fill my coffee. And then I'm gonna just be real. I'd do it for you. This is just water. (laughs) That, That was the beginning. Now she had a picture in her head. See, her parents and other people had never given her a vision that imperfect can thrive. You don't need all that anxiety. The perfect this and the perfect that. 20 years later, I was speaking at this event A woman walks up to me and says, do you recognize me? And she looked kind of familiar. Where do I know you from? She says, you treated me in your hospital 20 years ago. I'm the one you poured the coffee. She said that day was the beginning. Now she leads recovery groups. And she's a thriving attorney and she doesn't have panic attacks and eating disorders because she wasn't under the demand for perfection anymore that God never puts us under. That's the third issue. And then lastly, you were born little people in a big person's world and you existed under guardians and managers. Look at Galatians 4. It says that when we were children, we were under guardians and managers, one up and one down relationships. That was your whole world. Parents, guardians and managers. Your parents were your, or whoever raised you, was your, were your guardians and managers. They protect you and tell you what not to do and don't get in trouble and this and the other, and they manage you. They tell you where to go. They tell you what to do. They tell you how you're doing. Until the date set forth by the Father, the passage says, The bar mitzvah, or the bat mitzvah, where you grow up, and now you're an equal adult to other adults. What this means is, for the first time, you are no longer God's grandchild under parental authority. You are his child. And as Jesus said in Matthew 23, you're all brothers. So don't stink Anybody is superior to you. doesn't matter what their gifts and talents are. We're all brothers and sisters, and you are an equal, but some people don't feel equal. They still put people up on pedestals and feel inferior and can't really speak up and don't have an opinion. I remember when I heard Ed Catmull speak about when he merged, you know, the... Pixar thing, created all those great movies. He said in the culture there, when I think, was it Disney and Pixar that came together? Is that right? And what he had to do is he had to change the culture to where people felt not one up and one down, but all ideas are equal. We're just looking, or all people, we're just looking for the best idea. We don't care who it comes from. If you disagree with the CEO, give the best idea. We're equals here as people. Drove that innovation. And I'll close with this. Because what I'm telling you about these dynamics, when we get healthy in these areas, a lot of stuff in life changes that you don't—you weren't even working on. You just wake up one day and something's new. But it's tied to that dynamic. A woman came to see me one time in her presenting problem. She said, um, I'm sexually um, non-functional. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I love my husband. We've been married two years. But... I love him, he's a great guy, she, but my, my body, it just doesn't respond. And she was, you know, just no response. And so I'm doing my diagnostic kind of work up, finding out about her life and trying to understand her. So just kind of listening and learning about the second session or so. I said, let me ask you something. Is there, is there a woman in your life that you really look up to Sort of like your mentor, and you really admire, and oh, if I could be. She goes, How'd you know that? And I said, Because I'm a shrike. That's what we do. <laughs> she said, There's two of them. I really, they're so godly. And these women are so, and they're, and they, the way they do life. And she had these two women up on this pedestal in her church. And I said, um, Here's what I want you to do I want you to take each one of them out to lunch, different lunches. And I want you to disagree with, with, two or three things that they say during lunch. She's going, I, 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 I learned from them. I wouldn't disagree with them. She's 26 years old. She's an adult. I go, Why we? of course you do. One of them likes this movie, I bet you like a different one. One of them wants this dessert, I bet you like a different one. Just say it. You have a different opinion, just say it. I just want you to say it. She goes, Okay. I could never disagree. They're so godly. And they're so... Well, she comes back in the next week, and she's... And now, she's... I asked, you know, you could tell, she's like... And I asked her in, and I said, what's wrong? And she's like... Well, now I've cured her. I haven't cured her yet of the sexual thing, but I've introduced her to a new disorder. Now she's got an anxiety disorder. (laughs) Because she's disagreeing with her parent figures. I said, what happened? She said, I went to lunch. And one of them, and she said, are you going to have kids? And I said, yeah. Where where are you going to send them to school? We're going to homeschool them. And and she goes, what? You're going to homeschool them? What are you talking about? The Bible tells us to be salt and light in the earth. You send those kids out there to fight the war and teach them to stand up for their faith and go into the marketplace. And she's going, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then she goes to the second lunch, and she goes. Lady goes. Y'all gonna have kids? Yeah, we're gonna have kids. She says, well, What do you think? I, well, I think I'm gonna homeschool. You're gonna what? I'm sorry, I got that backwards. She said, "Yeah." She said, "Wait, I have screwed up this story." Where's my, where's my coffee? The first, the first one. She says, "I'm gonna homeschool," and she says, "No, you gotta." So that's what, you got to send them out there to public schools, second one, she goes, yeah I, I think I'm going to send them to the public schools so they can learn to be salt and light and the other lady goes, the public schools, you're going to hand them over to Satan? You're supposed to nurture them in the ways of the Lord, you can't do that with the Satanists teaching them and now she's going uh. and she's got an anxiety disorder now because now she doesn't know who she is if she has to think for herself and disagree with the people telling her guardian and managers. And so we work on these issues for about six months. She comes in one day and she looks weird again. And she sits down and she's, but she's not shaken this time, anxious. She's just like befuddled. And I said, what's wrong? And she said, well, I don't, last night my husband, we got in bed and he started getting frisky. And then I started feeling, and then I said, don't do it here. Just tell me about it. (laughs) Harry met Sally right there in the office. And she's, she's like describing my body. It just kind of, and she said, what happened? We haven't been talking about sex. We've been talking about Becoming an adult, I said, well, your body's growing up. It's catching up because you're going through your adolescent passage finally. So everything's not repressed and the wiring's getting hooked up because God made you that way. And children, we don't allow them to get married and have sex. But adults do. So welcome to your marriage. So I'll close saying this. You work on these four issues out of God's word and some of them you might need a deep dive on and you go see a good professional that can do deep surgery in these areas. But know two things today. God wants you to be healed. And in his word, he has given us the stuff to work on and we need to do it. That's his gift and our response. God bless y'all.